Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good good morrow. <laughs> good good morning. Good morning. Top of the morning to you, sir. Yes, the the same to you. Um and and to you. <laughs> Are we doing a bit? Have I been listening to Back to Work too much? So what's going on here? I think so. I think so. Um so I I'm I'm very annoyed. Uh oh. What are you annoyed at? Is it the water is it a water situation? Is it a coffee situation? It's it's a microphone situation. What? So as you may recall, and as as longtime listeners of the show may recall, I bought a microphone stand to take with me to Brazil (laughs) because I did not want to bring the giant road podcaster boom arm with me. And I took that microphone stand to Brazil and back. Oh, okay. Did... I, th- I thought maybe the story was you took it to Brazil and left it there. No, if it was only that simple, Ben, it's not that simple. I took that, that to Brazil with me and back and did not use it. <laughs> On at least one other occasion, I brought it with me, I think, to work to use. Or may oh, maybe it was when I was traveling and we were going to do a podcast on the road. And, and for some reason, that did not work. Okay, so last night I'm I'm at work today, which is not my usual podcasting location. Um, and I'm looking everywhere for this microphone stand, which has never come out of the box, right? So it's it's a flat, it's about the size of a you know eight and a half by eleven pad, but it's it's thick. It's about an inch thick, and it's heavy as hell because this is a really heavy you know piece of equipment to keep your microphone steady while you're podcasting. And I cannot find it anywhere in my house, Ben. And I, I conclude, therefore, it must I must have cleverly, knowing that I was going to record this podcast with you here today, I must have already taken it to work. Right, right, as a I, preparation. As in, yeah. Right, because I'm organized, right? Yeah, right of course. Um, and I get to work, and it's nowhere to be found, Ben. So I, after carrying this with me, literally around the, around the world... I have somehow lost it because because it is nowhere to be found. So so today I have my my lovely road podcaster road boat you know thingy my, whatever, whatever my road my road podcaster microphone with me and I have no microphone stand. So right now I'm holding it in my hands and then when I need to set it down uh, I have a hat <laughs> that I'm setting it in inside of. So that my microphone stand today is my hand or my hat. That's that's so, incredible. <laughs> yes. So I'm I'm very irritated with myself. Um and and I apologize to all the listeners who are who will experience I'm sure a declining quality of my voice because Apparently, I don't have the bright podcasting equipment. So, anyway, that's. But, but you do have a hat. I'm actually kind of. A, let's talk about the the hat. I I just don't see you as a, as a hat guy. I'm not. A, I'm not a hat guy. This is a hat that I was given free for going to a meeting. Um, uh, because this is a meeting where you know it's the uh, as I as I as I often explain to my wife, uh, this is the quote once a year good golf meeting because that's how the meeting was billed to me is this is a meeting this is so as as you know you are on the american frozen food institute scientific advisory committee i am 
there is another scientific advisory committee for of a equi- sort of equivalent group, and I, those two are linked in my mind because this this other group is for the professionals that run private refrigerated and frozen warehouses, right? So there are people out there who, as a business, run warehouses, not for a company, but for anyone who wants to pay to store things in such warehouses. And, um, and they do, they have a, you know, a great deal of scientific expertise in terms of frozen food and food quality and storage and stuff. And, and back this, you know, harkens back to when I started as a young faculty member at Rutgers, Daryl Lund was the department chair. Daryl was the chairman of their scientific advisory committee. And, and Daryl, in an effort to get me involved, said, we'd like to have you on the committee. And by the, by the way, it involves going to a meeting one a year somewhere where there's good golf, and I said, I'm, "I don't, I don't golf, Daryl, but but I'm in." Yeah, but but places so, where there are good golf, they're is, usually nice places to are. go. Yeah, they're usually they're usually all right. So, um, have you ever golfed? Um, oh, you know, we've have we not talked about no, this on the podcast? I don't, I don't my so. my grandfather um, was a big big golfer. And uh, when I was young, uh, he took me and my brother to the putting green at his golf club, and we'd go to the driving range at his golf club, and I caddied for him uh, a bit uh, when he was retired and I was, you know, a young lad. And uh, and I, I, I don't want to say I enjoy golf. I mean, I, I guess I, you, you, you could say I enjoy golf, um, but I don't really regularly play golf. Um, but it's it's not something I'm opposed to on principle. Okay, okay, you're not. It doesn't offend you. No, it's it not. doesn't offend me. And and I, I I I'm a little disappointed in Tiger Woods. Well, he offends. <laughs> he, yeah, I, it's not golf related. He's there, there's there's just some offense. Hmm. Um, yeah, his golfing does not offend me. It's right, the rest right. of his life. But but that's yeah. <laughs> anyway, not, is... neither here nor there, as the, as they say. Um, sure. <laughs> I uh, that's I, so I uh, um. My my grandparents or my grandfathers, both both grandfathers, both were avid golfers, and so so is my dad still. And um, I I remember when I was maybe uh, seven or eight, I, it was probably the first time I went to a golf course, and I you know walked around with them, and I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't want to walk for four hours. Um, and then maybe when I was ten, my dad took me to to play. We actually um, where where I grew up, or for my you know years ten to eighteen, we lived. Um, maybe a, a, a two tenths of a mile from a golf course, like mm. essentially right beside it. Um, and so my, I, I remember vividly my dad taking me when I was when I was ten, and he was a you know, elementary school teacher, so he had um, summers free, and so he you know he figured that this was the summer that he and I would would start to golf, and it would be great for him um, and great for me. We'd, we'd enjoy it, and and we uh, lasted uh, three holes. Um, between his, I, I don't know if it was like me being frustrated with him and he, him being frustrated with me. Uh, and then we went home and I didn't golf again for another three years, probably. And then I really got into it. I was, I golfed, um, I, I think there was one year. So, so my, my parents used to buy me a, uh, you know, a junior membership for, for my birthday every year. And there was one year where I golfed a uh, hundred rounds. That was the, that was the big the big year, hundred hundred times, um, and I, I was probably a much better golfer when I was fifteen than I am now. Um, but I like it. I still, I don't. I mean, I live in a place where there's good golf. Um, yeah, North North Carolina is known for their golf. There's yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of golf around here. I just I don't go uh, a whole lot. Maybe um, I don't know six or seven times a year. 
Um, I want to go more. It's nice. I, I, I it's, I, I enjoy, I, you know, you know me, I'm a sports guy. I like, uh, I like the sports and now mm-hmm. it's pretty much just ho- golf and hockey. And, and I'm playing, I'm, I'm, my life has really been taken over by hockey. Um, the food, we could turn this into hockey safety. No, just hockey podcasting. Um, if it was, we, we could, but it wouldn't be very good. It'd be one sided. It's about as good as our golf podcast. Right. Yeah, our, exactly. <laughs> I, um, so I think I, we haven't talked for a while. This is uh, for the for the listeners. We, you and I had uh, had planned on um, a podcast over the holidays or right before the holidays, and then I got sick with some ghastly illness where I couldn't leave my bed for three days, uh, and then and then things got busy, and, and so here we are in in January. And uh, but I was going to tell you back in that last podcast. So my so my son Jack started playing hockey uh, this fall, and um, between my recreation adult hockey league and his games and practices i'm now at the arena four days a week um so i'm there literally more than i'm in my office uh which uh, maybe maybe dean linton's listening or not i don't know Uh, but but yeah i'm like i all of a sudden i'm I'm like a hockey dad um which is great because it's kind of kind of what i grew up you know I'm, i'm i'm familiar with it so I, so I and, br- and let's and let's be very clear for any administrators that may be listening. Um, you still get all of your work done, and I you do. are one of the hardest working people on that campus. Well, I don't know about that. I'm sure there's. I'm. I might just be lucky, and things come in through. I, I do. I, I do all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I do also spend quite a bit of time and and full of typical Canadian modesty. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's that's yeah. That's what I'm. I just do. I just do my thing. Just plug away. Um, but yeah. So. So we have we we you and I have like a a, a, a lot. I was going to use a, a something that that would cause us to get a tag in iTunes that says explicit, but there is a lot of uh, stuff that we've been collecting over the last I don't know six weeks or so. Right, and most of which is is probably not relevant anymore. And since we're so far behind posting the podcast, even the stuff that is relevant yeah. now will not be relevant by the time this podcast posts. But Ah. <laughs> you know what are you gonna do? Yeah, I'm not worried about that. But but I want I want to talk start start with a piece of feedback that we got for follow up, um, which is uh, something that uh, that came through the Squarespace uh, website, and it was a comment uh, from December 22nd from a Dr. Rodriguez, uh, and it was on Food Safety Talk 68. We found it in Wild Pig Feces, and the question from Dr. Rodriguez is. What criteria do you use to assign a title to each podcast? I do not know if I missed something, but you just mentioned the wild pig and pathogens topic once. This is a, so as I was going through our notes, I was like, this is a perfect place for us to start. Because no, no one enjoys a good pull back the curtain backstage look at food safety talk more than I do. And and we truthfully, you and I still just you know, we people might listen, but we do really just do the podcast for us, and and we've never really talked about how we how we do our like how we assign titles. Um, so so I thought we should do that. And here's the here's the my my quick answer um, to that to to Dr. Rodriguez is Don and I listen to the uh, to the audio, and we really look for the most random quotes that we think are funny. Um, that, that are out of context sometimes, 
um, and uh, and text each other like 30 or 40 times with, what do you think about this? What about this? What about this? What about, we found it in wild pig feces. What about the great one? Um, and and it's, you know, it always comes from something that, that we said, but it's not, um, you know, the, the point of our titles is not, uh, uh, this is what the entire uh, podcast is about. It's just something that we did, we did touch on. Um, there, but it's really just something that a little, little bit of text that made us made us laugh. Right, and and again, as as we alluded to very early on in um, today's podcast, we are both fans of the of the podcast Back to Work. If you ever, which is on the Five by Five Network, um, and the um, uh, the if you listen to the After Dark on that show, which is actually a separate uh, feed, uh, you will often hear Merlin and Dan talk about. Uh, how they talk about titles for the show. And of course, they podcast live. They have an online tool where listeners to the live feed can suggest titles, which are typically based on th- something that one or the other of them said, and then upvote them. And then and then they sort of try to go winnow through those and figure out one that is clever and funny and, and maybe has, you know, resonance for the listeners, but also describes the episode. And, and Ben and I do that exact same thing, except completely differently, right? Because right, right. it's just two guys listening and trying to think of something funny that maybe represents the show. But, but again, as in the Wild Pig Feces episode, maybe not. So, uh, you know, and again, if we, you know, if we had a, a staff of, of thousands um, and, and had a live feed and had, you know, listeners, we could we could do all that. But we don't. So we can't. So we do the best that we can. And yeah. And again, you know, and there's a, there's a whole lot of constraints like the title can't be too long. Um, you know, it's it's because, you know, it needs to show up, uh, you know, in, in a nice pithy way in, in iTunes or on your podcast reader. So, there's you know, it's it's a it's a complicated process. Right. Right. And it also kind of has to be some something that uh, that doesn't describe what we talked about the whole time for me like oh okay well, well not like, well, we, we do ever talk about one i mean this show is about so many things right 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 yeah so there's so there's never really just one one thing so we i my my favorite one i was just looking back through all of our titles my absolute favorite one is bagel tongs for 20 bob that's it. That's because I'm sure we talked about bagel tongs. Um, well, my, my, my all-time favorite one is Where's My Wallet? Where's My Wallet? Yes, <laughs> yes. Where's My Wallet? With food safety lawyer Bill Marler because, number one, um, he said it. Number two, he's a lawyer, right? And so, you know, lawyers are all about suing people and taking money. And, and you know, again, Where's My Wallet is, is kind of a, a play on the fact that lawyers are taking people's money. And the person whose money was being taken in the podcast was Bill. Yes. And it was his daughters who were looking to get his wallet so they could take get money to go out shopping or something. And I just – that is just to me a quintessentially perfect topic. It encapsulates the episode. It's Someone, it's what someone said on the episode, and it sort of makes pokes fun at or makes reference to a, a topic on the show. So, yeah. So, so there's the answer. So there, there, there's the answer to how how we pick titles. Yeah. Has anybody else out there wants to know how we do things? It's um, it might surprise you that it's not very formalized, um, but do ask us like uh, uh, anything. Uh, and, about and can, podcast and can, particulars, and and as 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 uh, at least one uh, listener of the show 
uh, has asked us for our podcast workflow. Um, we sent the, we sent this this person our podcast workflow, and I believe there we've talked about this before on the show, but I believe their response was yikes <laughs> because right. yeah. we, use, we use a bunch of different pieces of software in a specific order, and it's a it's a little bit like uh, watching the sausage get made. But uh, hey, you know that's uh, that's how you make a podcast these days. That's right. I, so I had a um, a discussion. Uh, with a, a graduate student uh, who's at Virginia Tech. Her name is Lily Yang, and she, I think she listens to the podcast. I'm not sure, um, but she knows we do a podcast, and she happened to be in town. She's working on um, a, a complimentary uh, project to, to one of my grad students around mechanically tenderized beef, and, and so we had breakfast on Monday, and and during breakfast, she goes, can you tell me how you make, how you make your podcast? Because I'm thinking about doing one with the the IFT student group you know there's five or six of us and and we we like podcasts we're we're in the lab and and you know we we're reading stuff but it's always nice to to you know take other things in while we're doing something else and I was like great that's what how I use podcasts as well um and and so here's the the suggest you know I I talked to her about how we use Skype and how we use Call Recorder just the the basics and um and, and she talked she asked about how do you um, get it into uh, iTunes, and so I talked about hosting on Squarespace, and, and so she, you know, she she was kind of processing this whole thing. And, and the I, if there's any sage advice that I that I've given, um, and it it's not, it, I mean, I think it comes a little bit from from a couple of places. One is is really listening to Back to Work and and Dan and Merlin talk about working, and 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 the um, the David Allen getting things done. Um, sort of process, but but also you know my my musical hero Neil Young, who graces our podcast opening music and closing music. Um, I just I told Lily, it's like you can plan all this stuff, but but just try it. Like go, you know, don't 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 bother sketching out what your script is. Just get two or three people who want to talk about food science. Figure out the logistics. Go try and make it, and if it sucks, just make another one, um, and you'll figure it out. I mean, I think for us that our you know our format hasn't hasn't really changed a whole heck of a lot, but but definitely if we I, and I haven't gone back to listen to, to early episodes, but I know our, our friend um, uh, Linda Harris is is doing that, and I, I bet you we sound we sound different. We we have our we have a different um, we our our style has probably evolved. I know how I approach the podcast has evolved a little bit, but. I wouldn't. We wouldn't have gotten to this point if we hadn't made, you know, seventy of them, seventy-five, whatever we're we're on right now. So you just got to make stuff. You just got to do things. Yeah, and there's and there's lots of good advice uh, to, for Lily out there. From again, that that I mean, Dan, Dan, right. actually, Dan Benjamin has started doing a podcast about podcasting, and there is actually a section of podcasts in iTunes that are podcasts about podcasting. <laughs> so if that's not too meta for you, um, there's lots of good advice out there. There's there's you know there's I mean again, and a lot of the the discussion recently amongst the nerds have been about microphones and what's the best microphone, and and again, and Merlin has has given the advice before uh, in numerous locations about uh, like do a couple, right? Get a couple in the can, be prepared to burn a few just to kind of figure stuff out. Um, and, and, and yeah, and be, 
ask people for advice. You know, one of the one of the best pieces of advice that I give to students that want to become better writers is to read more, right? Now, and and then and then of course write, and then right. write and write and write and write, and eventually you'll be a better better uh, writer. Same thing applies to podcasts. You want to be a podcaster? Well, start by listening to a lot of podcasts. What do you like about certain podcasts? What do you like about other podcasts? I mean, there are some very very well done, very highly produced uh, podcasts. Um, you know, Radio Lab is one that, that comes to mind. Ninety-nine percent Invisible is another one. I don't listen to those too much because I really like the format of just a couple of people talking about something, and so those tend to be the ones that I listen to. But again, the advice to people like Lily is: listen to a bunch of podcasts, figure out what you like about those podcasts, and then and then try to not copy that, but but let that inspire you in terms of what you do, and then and then start doing podcasts, and then keep doing podcasts. And again, there was a couple of episodes back, we talked a lot about a great interview um, uh, that was with, uh, I think, the people that run Libsyn, which is a, a podcasting file hosting service about like stats on podcasts. Like, m- you know, many podcasts don't go more than 10 episodes, but if you make it to 10, you're probably going to make it to 100, and, you know, and, and again, right, right. And, and so, and so, but, but just be prepared to, to do it. And, and if it's not for you, if it turns out that it's just more work than you wanted to do, well, just set it aside and go on to something else. But, but by all means, try it. It's not, it's not that hard. Hell, you and I managed to figure out how to get it, you know, get a, a feed and get the feed picked up by iTunes. And it just, you know, there's, there's the internet out there. I mean, it's not like, it's not like back in the old days where it was really, you had to like, like go to the library and read books to figure stuff out, right? There's so much available, so much great information available on the in- internet about how to do anything, including how to make a podcast. And, and again, one of the things that people will find is that there will be conflicting advice. Some people will say, this is a really good microphone. Other people will say, that's the worst microphone in the world. Um, People will say, well, you have to use this hosting service or you have to use that hosting service. Well, read widely and then, and then ask questions of, of people that you know are doing podcasts. Um, so, yeah, it's – but, but, but I, you know, I, that's a fantastic to hear uh, that Lily wants to do that and um, I, that's whenever, whatever we can do to help. We're, we're here to help. It's cool that <clears throat> podcasts um, for you and I have been part of you know, our – I guess our lives – um, and, and, in what we do for, for a while, um, you know, probably, I, I probably look back, um, four or five years, uh, of, you know, finding, well, the, I mean, the five by five network and, um, early on, I, I listened to the, um, WTF, uh, podcast with Mark Marin, um, and, you know, a couple other things and, just now, like, I mean, just in the last couple of months, you've seen the rise of, of serial and, and podcasts are in pop culture, right? Like, I mean, they've always kind of been there, but one made it to like an, a Saturday night live, um, satire sketch, which is always the, the epitome of, you know, you've made it when, when Saturday night live makes fun of you know, makes fun of it. But it was, it was weird that, um, before the, before the, you know, I spent some time with um, my parents uh, over Thanksgiving, and a year ago we talked about pot. You know, I kind of explained that you and I do this podcast, and my dad had seen we had posted about it in uh, on Facebook, but he had no idea what it was. And then all of a sudden this year we were having a discussion about podcasts. It it's you it it, it is now uh, um it's it's not just the the nerds it's it's this sort of um more mainstream 
media, which is which is a good thing and, and a bad thing. I mean, I, I guess with with any um, with, with any forms of of creativity. But it was just it's just struck me over the last couple of months. It's like, oh, people know what podcasts are now, and and they're 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 being used, and uh, and and now it's now it's on Saturday Night Live. It's just a weird kind of weird thing. It's like it's like blogging was seven years ago. Yeah, I was just going to say exactly that, right? Used to be people didn't know about what blogs were and the only way to get yourself read was to write for a newspaper or to, you know, to to print a uh you know, to 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 mimeograph uh zine, you know, zines, right? right. right. You yeah. you you fo- photocopy something and mail it out to people through the mail and then yeah, so I mean the technology is changing and and podcasting really has yeah, it's it's in a in a state of prominence now. And again, a number of you know, talented people have made the comment that that maybe podcasts are in the state now. And like with so many things, podcasts are sort of what blogs were, you know, seven years ago, except it's different, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but but that's always the, the way of, of, of change. And speaking of WTF, um, which I listen to on occasion when there's a, when there's a guest I'm interested in and the Robin Williams episode uh, that uh, that he uh, that Mark yeah. reposted after Robin passed away was was fantastic. But I have to put a plug in for um, uh, the the WT episode with RuPaul. Have you listened to that? No, I have not. Oh, my God. What a fascinating, fascinating individual is RuPaul. And we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you, if you are interested, if, if you, well, if, if you, if you don't know who RuPaul is, shame on you, right? If you do know who RuPaul is and you want a fascinating glimpse inside the life of this, I mean, I, I had admiration for the guy before, but having listened to the podcast, I have even more admiration for his life and what he's able to do to his life and how true he is to sort of his inner, uh, inner spirit. It's just, uh, and, and I think the interview went in a way that Mark absolutely did not expect. Um, and, and he just goes with it and it's just, anyway, just great. Again, example of, and I hate to, well, at least it's not two white guys talking, but, but an example of two, two <laughs> old guys talking, right. Um, uh, two, well, anyway, podcast, you know, is, is, you know, people talking, but, but, but again, so it's a little bit, uh, um, uh, prototypical, but but anyway, uh, hi, highly worth uh, listening and highly worth checking out, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, that's. I'm just looking. It's episode 498 on WTF, and I say that because you know the WTF podcast has 568 episodes. Like it's 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 he's he's prolific. Um, it's uh, it's pretty wild to look at at a list like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. I've been I've been branching out a little bit, and actually, when when I talked to Lily. Um, on Monday, I thought, what, you know, uh, it would be great to have to listen to more interesting, you know, well-contented. That's not probably the word, but what, you know, not not so much well-produced, but but a, a good, interesting discussion around you know food science, food safety, whatever it is. I mean, it's there are a couple others that that you and I have have been part of. Um, out there, but to, to have more, just just to listen to other ideas and hear what other people are talking about in, in our area, I think would be would be great. I mean, it's uh, I, so I was kind of excited by by that because I'd I'd totally listen to a you know a few students talk or you know sit around talking about what they're what they're thinking about and and what they get about from you know what's going on in in the world of of food safety. Oh, food absolutely, science. absolutely. No, they can't. They can't do a food safety podcast. There's already one of those. Right, right, yeah, exactly. We've got that <laughs> that market cornered. Uh. No, no, no. But I mean, there's 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 room there's room for all, and uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and go for it, Lily, and and let us know what we can do to help. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, speaking of of food safety, I don't know if you have any other 
uh, follow up or or whatever. But I did. I this week, all of a sudden, it seems like I have questions for you about people making risk management decisions that are poor. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, you know I love that. I know, I know, and it, and it's just been like example after example um, of this. So let's let's start with the I guess the first one that um, that that I saw. Uh, and it's it's close to to mine because it it kind of got resolved yesterday. But but here's the here's the story. Um, there uh, there was a, a vendor um, at a farmers market in uh, Nova Scotia in in Halifax, um, and um, uh, this uh, the vendor's name is Tanessa Holtz, and she runs uh, a business called Food Noise, and um, she. Uh, last week received an, an email from uh, a health inspector from the no- Nova Scotia, that's in Canada, uh, Department of Agriculture, uh, who said, um, we've received a complaint about you breastfeeding as uh, while while you're vending your packaged granola. And I'm uh, I, I came in and did an inspection and viewed it. And I just wanted to um, let you know that uh, you are not allowed to nurse your child at your booth as it's a violation of food safety regulations. Um, and, and and to uh, to Tanessa's credit, um, and, and what I wrote about in a blog post and when I was kind of having some Twitter discussions about this uh, with a few different people, um, she said, look, I've got a hand-washing station behind my booth. I have gloves for handling the food. Uh, if I am handling anything, I'm always uh, more than covered when nursing. Um, my f- And my food is all served in closed containers, so what's the problem here? And uh, she received a message back saying that, uh, well, until, um, you know, you, if you're going to be breastfeeding, you need to have someone sit with you the entire day to handle food if, uh, you happen to be breastfeeding and you know, nursing your child uh, because you can't be doing those two things at the same time. And so, so I kind of wrote a little bit uh, on Twitter about it uh, and and tweeted at my my friends at the um, uh, Canadian Institute of Public Health Inspectors, and I was like, "What's the like? Wh- where's the risk assessment on this? What's the what's the problem?" And um, a little more information came out and, and really what the inspector had had cited or talked about was um, the idea of her doing diaper changes, um, you know, near food. Um, and uh, but she had all these, you know, the risk management strategies are in, are in place. It's like, yeah, it's, I recognize there's a risk. I, I wash my hands um, I, I and I'm selling packaged goods. So so what's the problem? Uh, and then yesterday uh, she received a, a, an apology from. Um, some higher ops at uh, the Department of Agriculture in Nova Scotia, uh, saying that uh, everything that she had talked about um, for uh, washing hands and you know being you know using gloves and all that uh, was enough for them to say, yeah, don't don't worry about it. You're welcome to breastfeed your son at the market as long as you follow your proper hand washing procedures. But kind of, I mean, kind of kind of crazy, right? Like that. It, it, it's I. I, I to me, it's it was a, a. It sounds like there is this knee jerk reaction without without properly looking at risks and risk risk management strategies. Yes, and I am not <clears throat> I am not an expert on nursing or diaper changing, but I believe they are different. Oh. Um, and while nursing 
may lead to diaper changing because of the way the human body works. I'm, I am, I am pretty sure that is the only connection. And, and, and again, we've talked before on the podcast and we will continue to talk on the podcast about the, these, these kind of issues. And so on the one hand, and, and I, I find it helpful to try to look at from, from two perspectives. On the one hand, Inspectors have a very hard job. They are constantly being asked – well, they're constantly being asked to interpret the regulations. Um, and, and then again, there's some regulators who write regulations. And so writing regulations is hard. Interpreting regulations is hard. And they – because of the nature of inspection, um, it's a binary system, right? Either something is in compliance or it's out of compliance. And so they are always – they're always having to draw that bright line and say this is acceptable, this is unacceptable. And, and of course, as you and I know, and as we've talked about again many times on the on the podcast, um, and and in real life, the world is not like that, right? The world is full of shades of gray. And while I guess theoretically, a person who is working uh, at a booth who is breastfeeding may be a higher risk than someone who is identical and not breastfeeding. To me, that is a quite a, a nuance. And, and again, I think that the, the, the Tanessa um, absolutely understood the risk. She had a risk management strategy in place, which seems to me to be perfectly sound and reasonable. And I'm sure uh, the Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture did not have it's I'm sure it's not codified in their regulations that no. people who are nursing cannot you know do whatever uh, uh, Tanessa is trying to do in her operation right so again so this is an interpretation of the regulations rule and and again, like so many, oh, and my God, don't even get me started about interpretation of the rules. The, not, not to take us off, off topic, Ben, but the other thing that's been consuming part of my time is I'm now the graduate director of the food science program here at Rutgers. And oh, my God, talk about interpretation of rules, right? It's, ultimately, it's my job uh, to interpret the rules. And, and, and again, it's not the black and white cases that are the problem. It's the, it's the shades of gray. But again, to, to bring it back to, to food safety, um, I, well, I think it's good. I think it's good. Well, I mean, it's good that we had this discussion, you know, there's a couple of interesting blog posts about it. I, it's, it's unfortunate that Tanessa had to have, you know, her, her life upset or, or you know, her, her business impacted by this. But I think in the end, we got to the right place, which is that Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture apologized and said, uh, you know, we were wrong and, you know, your risk man essentially your risk management strategies are, are okay, I guess. That is that, that's, the, that's the net of this, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the net of it. Um, and yeah, we're, we're sorry that we caused, um, uh, an international discussion about this. <laughs> well, um, no, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be sorry. They caused the discussion. They should be sorry for, for singling her out. But I think we got to a better place, right? Cause right. we had, we had a decision. It happened to be, I think, in my opinion, a wrong decision. And, and then we had a discussion about it and, and then we got to a, hopefully what is a better place. And we now we've all sort of learned a little bit more. And, and again, hopefully, again, part of this has permeated into the culture, uh, the, 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 the global culture, not just the food, well, certainly has permeated into food safety culture. And we'll all be talking about this or we well, we'll hopefully remember this at least for a, a few microseconds, right? For, for the right, next right. time this happens. Um, and maybe it's permeated into the popular culture and people understand about, you know, risk and we now have a more informed opinion and et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, kudos to to Tessa on this or Tanessa um, for you know, like you said, having a nice sound um, risk management strategy. But uh, I, I've linked in, in my blog post to a Facebook 
post that she put up uh, on her business um, Facebook page, and um, she she went right into the food regs and said, here they are. A food establishment must develop and demonstrate policies and procedures that ensure a person entering food handling is doing the following. And she highlights, you know, there there are six things. You've got to be clean and sanitary and good personal hygiene. You've got to have clean clothing and footwear. You have to keep hair out of it. You've got to wash their hands as often as necessary to prevent contamination of food. Um, and then she highlights the hand washing and say that says that's why I've developed a policy that when I'm um, finished nursing, I washed my hands with the hand washing station that's right behind me, and, and said so. So it, it's it's kind of the it, not the opposite, but most of the examples that that we have in this are are people who who either say I didn't know what the reg was, or 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 this is you know it's common sense, it's ridiculous, and and she just she just did a, 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 a sort of a fabulous job laying out. Yeah, I understand the risks. Here they are. Here's what I do about it. What's the problem? Um, and and that's that that's like refreshing. That's that's a that that's that's what we've talked about for seventy episodes, seventy plus episodes. Um, interesting, you know, on this and and the loose, I guess, interpretation situation is that the inspector says. Their concern wasn't the actual nursing, but it's the fact that I handle food after I feed the baby. Their concern is that the baby may spit up on my clothes and could contaminate the food. So if that was the concern, do you, you know, not to be too trite with this, but do you just say, well, if you have kids at home, you can't handle food because they may spit up and I could contaminate the food, even though you have a policy in place to wash your hands before you go in and handle food, that's clearly not good enough in, in, in this case. And I, you know, what, what's the term? I think I just made a straw man argument um, uh, about it. it. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and yeah, so, okay, so I understand the logic of that. And I guess if I was, if we really wanted to wade into the details, we have to say, okay, so the hypothesis there is that uh, the, um, uh, inspectors are saying that that child that spit up from a breastfeeding child poses a food safety risk. So show me the peer reviewed literature that shows the presence of foodborne pathogens in spit up from from babies, and then show me how that risk is significantly higher than the risk of other things that uh, uh, Tanessa's hands may be contacting, like her own butt when she's just pooped, right? right? I mean, not not to put too fine a point on it. And I suspect that if you did that, you would find that the risk is less or equivalent. And if the risk is equivalent, why is not hand washing, which would be the thing that she's supposed to do after she poops, going to be able to manage that risk, right? Absolutely. And what what about I mean, the, the other thing that I thought about at farmers markets that, that we work with here, and I don't know the situation with this one, but what about having a uh, a vendor who sells both raw meat and ready to eat foods? Like you would have it at a, at a butcher kind of vendor where they may have a um, a, a raw, uh, you know, like raw, raw meat, just like cuts of meat, and then uh, fermented sausages, pepperoni. Um, and they hand, they handle both of those things. That's allowed to happen because they have a policy that says if I handle this raw meat, I'm either going to do it with gloves on or I'm going to wash my hands. And that's to me a much more clear risk. But it was just you know I, I don't know I don't know how these things um, uh, you know come about. 
Um, yeah, well, and that, and that's a perfect example. You're right. I mean, yeah. So so there's there's a risk from baby spit up. There's a risk from food worker poop. There's a risk from raw meats. And what are the relative magnitudes of those risks? And then what are the interventions to put in place? And this is, and again, this is a strategy that I've used in in some cult consulting work where you know the, there's a certain practice that is allowed by the regulations. There's a certain practice that is not allowed by the regulations. And then there's a third practice that is of an, un, that regulations are silent on. Well, if we can put some numbers to it, if we can do, uh, I mean, we can call it a risk assessment, but anyway, some sort of a quantitative risk assessment process might not be a, you know, full-blown risk assessment. Um, and we can compare those three numbers and we can see where we net out. And that, that should give us some insight into the problem and what would be a reasonable thing to do about it. Right, right. And um, I – through this, I mean, so, of course, sitting in my in my home on my couch as I'm reading all this stuff and thinking about the blog posts and thinking about something else that you and I um, had shared uh, via email or text a, a week ago about um, uh, people handling money and then not washing hands or washing their hands and what's the risk for money. A lot of the comments – um, on the news stories that were picked up were, were focusing on that saying, oh, come on, it's way dirtier. Um, uh, you, know, someone, you know, this is like a, a risk calculation uh, in, in someone's head. It's like it's way riskier to, to have a vendor who handles money and then doesn't handle their – it doesn't wash their hands before handling other ready-to-eat foods. And so it went into this like in my mind. It's like, oh, we got to talk about that as well and it, because – uh, I mean, maybe it is, maybe it's not. I mean, we don't, we, there's not a whole lot of data on that specific area. And you, it sounded like from, from your message to me that you're maybe looking at some of that. Is that, is that true? Not, not so much, <laughs> not so much looking at it, but interested in it. Okay. So as, again, as you, as you know, and, and people that are familiar with the research that we do, we're very interested in cross-contamination uh, seems more so right now. Real a lot of interest in my lab right now around cross contamination and hand washing and things like that. And I've been talking with, and of course I'm active in the Conference for Food Protection, which is the group that meets every two years to help FDA write their model food code. And one specific issue that we've talked about at the conference is when um, hand washing, and and again, I'm I am uh, of the opinion that um, we need alternatives to hand washing. Right, hand washing is is a, an intervention. It is not a perfect intervention, but just like this situation with Tanessa and breastfeeding, people just like people at the Nova Scotia Department of Ag had a, a reaction to breastfeeding, saying it was risky. Um, people who are involved in uh, writing the the food code. Some people have the perspective that hand washing is uh, a risk reduction measure, which it is, but that we cannot look at alternative measures for reducing risk on hands, let's say like an alcohol-based hand sanitizer because – of blah, 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 and FDA lays out a number of reasons, and we've we published papers on this, and we'll continue to publish papers on it until until I get tired of doing it because I think it's a really fertile area. And one of the one of the areas where an individual would have to wash their hands in a food service operation would be after handling money. 
And of course, handling money, I, I submit even a, um, you know, any, any rational person would, would say that um, the risk of handling money is probably lower than the risk of handling, let's say, raw meat, right? And so the question is, are there situations in a food service operation where one might consider something other than a soap and water hand wash to be an appropriate intervention. And that might be a cashier handling money. So let's say that the individual handling money, if they're going to, after they handle money and then they're going to go back to doing something else in the operation, maybe under those circumstances, because of the kind of contamination on money and because of the kind of contamination that would transfer from money to, to human hands, in that particular situation, a hand sanitizer might be appropriate. So I've been, ta- I had just have had very preliminary discussions with a company that we've been working with on a number of these issues around, well, you know, maybe the approach in the food code is to, is to not just sort of go in and say, well, we, we want people to be able to do something other than wash their hands with soap and water, but to say strategically, what are maybe some limited opportunities where the risk is lower, where we can say, okay, under these circumstances, we, we think an alternative to a hand wash, a soap and water hand wash would be appropriate. So we've just had, you know, literally preliminary discussions that were probably took less time than it took for me to explain <laughs> that to you. But, you know, nevertheless, it's, it's, it's an area that's there. And, and oh my God, talk about, um, talk about a research area where people have oh. published tons of stuff. It's every year or two, there's another paper on on, oh my God! There's bacteria on money. Yeah, you know? but but here's the here's the problem with with that as we've talked mm-hmm. about before is oh my God! There's bacteria on money. So what? Right? No no one's got no no one's published. There's a bunch of bacteria on money, and then it transfers to someone's hands, and then it transfers from those hands to someone's food. Right? Like right right. right. It's yeah. So it's you know, it's not it's not just about the bacteria on the money. It's about well, what's the what's the risk pathway? Exactly right. Right, and and so that's the there, there's this dogma. Uh, I love that word. I love oh. using that word. It, but there's this dogmatic look at money is dirty, so all cashier hands are dirty, and 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 we have to we have to do something uh, about it. But but there's no, it, and it goes back to a lot of things that it just seemed like a good idea. It seems theoretically that yes, that that is the case. So let's let's highlight that. But we just don't have data to back that up. And, and in my very, you know, Pete Snyder, Don Schaffner voices in the back of my head, when I hear things like that, it's like, well, show me the data. Show me the show me something that that's going to say that help me make a decision, uh, uh, you know, put a risk management step in place um, there because it will reduce risk. And um, and it's just not I mean, I, I, just, I just haven't seen I, I, I don't think it's there. It's not that I haven't seen it. It's because you know I, I've looked, and, and you're, I, I, you know, you and I are both fairly familiar with the literature. That pathway stuff just isn't. It's not. It's not published. It's not well described. And I, I, I'll throw the, you know, ever exciting world of reusable um, uh, cloth and um, and polypropylene bags and into that where there's a lot of scare tactics around them, but, but the data, and we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, it, it's just not there that says it can move once it's in that bag at, at the levels that, that we see it in. So there's a lot of extrapolation that, um, that gets people really, really excited without, without data. And then, I mean, it's, it's crazy because there's lots of stuff that we have that, that shows that there's data and we don't do risk management stuff about it. I'll, another like, 
quick example um, is, and I'll have to dig up this paper. I had a question about washing fruits and vegetables again, and and you know how I've softened on my stance on washing fruits and vegetables does nothing to washing fruits and vegetables does does a little bit, um, but isn't um, it, you know isn't a a sterilization step to um, you know looking at that the infiltration of salmonella in a, a washed tomato into the stem scar where something that really does matter is if you cut that stem, you know, a centimeter around the inside of that stem, we just don't do that. <laughs> like, ah, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I get, I get f- fired up on this kind of stuff. Like yeah. that, that's one that we should be focusing on. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> Don, um, I got one more poor risk management decision, or maybe we just don't know the whole story here. And and it's something that I posted a couple of days ago about uh, your your home state the the gar- the garden state. Well, now let's let's be clear. How do you def- not- let's let, how do you define home state? Okay, fair enough. It's not your it's your current your state of residence. <laughs> How's that? Fair enough. I'll accept that. Okay. counselor. Good. 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 So so here's the here's the situation. You know, I'm all interested about. Um, outbreaks in schools and institutional settings, but schools mainly. And I, I do a lot of work with um, school cafeterias here in North Carolina. Uh, as part of our norovirus project, we're doing a bunch of work on um, schools uh, managing norovirus infections and information transfer and making risk management decisions. And so for whatever reason, um, you know, we, I've got a, uh, a couple of students who've been looking at artifacts of um, media coverage of school-related outbreaks, as well as the guidance that schools, school systems post on their websites or distribute. And there's some misinformation in those. Um, and for whatever reason, people seem to focus their um, the outbreaks around the drinking fountains. Like one of the first things that happens in a, um, and I, I'll, I'll be tried again. It's not always, but but you know. Uh, multiple times we've seen this where media reports that to control or, or one of the steps to control this outbreak of norovirus is they've, um, you know, asked people to stay away and they've closed all the drinking fountains. Like, you know, because they're somehow a, a place where transfer happens, although there's not a lot of data on that. Um, here's here's one that I hadn't seen before. Um, a school in New Jersey is closed right now. It's due to open tomorrow. Uh, they've been closed since last Friday because a staff member at that school, and this is uh, Perth Amboy's William McGinnis Middle School, um, it, uh, it's closed because a staff member um, has uh, C. difficile. And um, it, the school's been closed for cleaning and sanitizing um, because there's a someone's got a, you know, a nosocomal or an infection that happens when you're on antibiotics. I don't, I don't get it. So they, they sent all the kids home and, and they closed the school. It's not a norovirus outbreak. So I don't know what, like I I couldn't find, and it's not, you know, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about C. difficile, but there is a really nice review paper that came out in 2009 when the height of, um, uh, of C. difficile in institutional settings came up both in, um, uh, hospitals and in long-term care facilities, and it's uh, a, a paper um, from uh, Rupnik, Wilcox, and Girding um, in Nature Reviews Microbiology, and they basically said um, 
hospitalization and exposure to antibiotics are, are your risk factors. There are lots of community sources um, for a C. difficile um, uh, illness, you know, soil, water, pets, animals used for food, meats, vegetables. We know that, that the, the spores are, are in the environment, but to close a school because someone had the infection is just, just seems ludicrous to me. I just don't know what the risk management decision is there. Well, the, the risk management decision there is a poor one, right? <laughs> I mean, that, yes. that's what it is. It's, and, you know, and let's come back to the drinking fountains thing for a minute. And all I can think about is the TSA and security theater, right? So, so covering right. the drinking fountains or turning off the drinking fountains is public health theater, right? And maybe, maybe it's a hearkening back to Jon Snow and the pump handle and, and Vibrio Collar. I don't, I don't know. That's but weird. it's an obvious thing, right? It's like, well, look what we're doing. Look right. what we're doing. We have closed the drinking fountains. My my God, we are really on the on the <laughs> this is you know, important the to us. Cutting edge yeah. of controlling this infection. Well, you know, I I bet I bet what's gonna happen because of closing this school for C diff, I suspect they're gonna they may get a public health benefit because uh there will probably be uh, uh I mean we have some pretty nasty strains of the flu going around New Jersey right now. Closing this school may actually help in terms of managing there may be a public health benefit in terms of managing the flu, right? Oh, There's yeah. gonna be no no public health benefit in terms of controlling C difficile, or if it is, it's gonna be a, a microscopic, pun intended, uh, small one, right? I mean, yeah, I and, and and props to you for digging out the uh, the the nature the nature article uh, because yeah you're right there are there are risk factors but uh, it, the, they don't they don't include or at least it, in the overall scheme of things you have to go pretty far down the list to go you know going to a school where some where one teacher uh, has the infection right or one staff member has the infection so yeah it's um and we and we saw all of this too with. Ebola, and I think we talked about it previously on on the podcast with you know Ebola and the messaging around Ebola, and you know, and it's just the, the good the good news is Ben, it's it's you know there's just there's still plenty of it's not like you and I are going to be short of ideas and things to, to 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 talk about on the podcast or to blog about or to do research on because there's just um, you know there's just a, a a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of poor quality information and there's a, a lack of good clear information and and we and we again to not not to take us off topic but a little bit here is one of the things that I emailed you about recently was um vomit cleanup right and right. if you if because and this the reason that sparked this is I was at a meeting with uh, Rutgers dining hall managers and I meet with them every year to talk about the results of our uh, inspection program where we go out and, and survey the dining halls. And we got into a discussion afterwards about like the students are away right now. But the on Tuesday of next week, the day after Martin Luther King Day, um, the students will be back and they will bring back with them all sorts of things, including possibly norovirus. And so we need to be prepared for that. Of course, if they get sick, and they're vomiting and they have diarrhea, they are going to blame the dining hall food. They always do. We, we know that that's probably a, a misattribution, but, but we know that they're going to do that. But my question to the sanitarian and to the director of dining was, well, do you have a vomit cleanup plan in place? And they were like, well, no, we have a, we have a blood cleanup protocol and I'm like okay and they're like that should be good enough it's like well I'm not really sure but let me let me see what I can find about vomit cleanup and 
I went and I did a search on the internet as, as you do these days. And I found, I found some good things and some things that were like, well, you know, vomit cleanup is important. And, and again, the food code says you have to have a plan to do it. But the food code is, is quite short on specific details about what would constitute a good plan or specifically and, – and again, so every, it ranged everything from have a plan to have a plan that includes these elements to here are the elements of like best practices in terms of a plan. And, and then again and, – and you were also able to provide a link to uh, a document that, that Angie Frazier and others had written that was very, that was very helpful in that respect. And, and there is, so again, what we need, and just to bring it back to this C. diff is like, what should the response of a school be to a person with C. diff? We'll probably send that person home. And other than that, probably not worry too much. And then look, be alert for other cases. But other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's another strategy. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, and this, I mean, the, the common thread for, through all of our discussions here today has been having a decision maker in place that that is not making a decision based on what they think but is making a decision based on some sort of evidence or um or being able to to, to weigh what the risk making some sort of a risk calculation that's based on something and um, and that, uh, that the management step that they're suggesting, whether it be don't allow someone to breastfeed in, uh, as a food vendor in a, in a farmer's market or, send, or closing a school, is um, will actually do something to address that risk. I think you bring up a really good point on the theater of public health. And um, we the, there's another example that I, I remember, and I don't know, I mean, I'm – I'm getting old and I forget all this stuff, but I remember during the foot and mouth disease uh, outbreak that happened in Europe, probably in, I don't know, 2002, 2001, whatever it was, that that massive FMD epidemic, that there were um, foot baths set up at um, at airports. And, and I don't know who, if it was someone from the Canadian Food Inspection Agency or someone basically said, look, we know that those virucidal foot baths are literally not likely to stop virus transmission if it's on someone's shoes as they walk down the, you know, off the plane. But as soon as we put those down, our, um, self, um, uh, self-reporting of illegal importation of food products, which may carry, uh, the virus, you know, tripled or whatever it was, went up. So, so the theater may be used as a way to, to get people to do other risk management steps. It may be used, like, like you said, as to say, look, oh, my gosh, this is so important to us. We're doing something about it. There may be some public health benefit. I'm probably closing a school for a week and hammering it with a bunch of chlorine and other sanitizers is good just in general, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, as, as you point out. But, but, but to do it to to say we're doing it because um because this this individual this staff member uh had c diff is is very very suspect it's very it's a very odd decision to me yeah and i and i would say does does not appear to be science based right and right. I, I hate I, you know i'm 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 not quick to use that term because nobody really knows what it means but 
it's I think it's easy to see if something is not science based. I think it's harder to see that it is science based, but but it it sure does not appear to be well thought out. Yeah, <laughs> I guess right. maybe is the way to say. Yeah. It it um so that that you know the the drinking fountains takes me into into something else that I that I picked up in my my internet travels this week. Um, and, and it comes back to this idea of theater. So when you said it, I was like, oh, I just, I just saw a quote about this. So, so the theater, um, or, or the water fountain side of things is, you know, there's, there's maybe a misconception that that's going to do something. And how do we get at those misconceptions and how do we get some some evidence-based or science-based decision-making to them. And um, so sort of a little bit off topic is, you know, we're, um, as part of our blog, we, we scour the internets for different things. We have all these Google alerts set up and a whole bunch of RSS feeds. And I pulled something that said it was about soy uh, soybeans. And you don't have the benefit of seeing this in front of you. So, um, so, so but I will send you the link right now. Um, it is uh, a headline that says uh, South Dakota soy soybean. Um, let me pull it up here. So- South Dakota soybean producers talk food safety in a new ad campaign, and and now the food safety that that they're talking about is you know as as you might imagine, it's not the food safety that we talk about. It's not a it's not food safety talk food safety. It's uh, the issues about labeling genetically engineered. Uh, soybeans, uh, it's pesticide use, um, and, and a whole, whole bunch of other things. But, uh, that is, is kind of besides the point. Um, because what I wanted to, to highlight is a quote from the executive, uh, director of South Dakota soybean. His name is Jeremy Frecking. And his point was, or his quote is, it's time to speak up and correct some of the misconceptions that people have. Um, that that's the i think this is the struggle when you and i are talking about some of the misconceptions that people have around um changing or about norovirus management or different risk management uh decisions we're not you know we, we talk about it on the podcast and then we do research and create interventions and and look at training and messaging and communication and education all rolled up into one to see if we can change the behavior it's different from someone in the industry someone in any industry saying people and this is the way that that i'm reading this people really don't know anything about gmo foods we need to do an advertising campaign and we have to correct some of those misconceptions we have to change we we have to um they just don't get it and maybe maybe i'm maybe it's maybe i'm being too loose maybe maybe what i'm saying is is you know what what we do is the same thing or would be perceived as being the same thing but i think it's to me it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different i I, i'm never I, i don't feel like i'm in the in the job of changing misconceptions although you know the we can highlight those misconceptions and then figure out a better way to to translate some of this information so people can make better decisions but i don't want to go around saying oh my gosh if you close those water fountains you're just an idiot you clearly don't know what you're doing um and i'm going to tell you what you should really be doing does that do, am i am i talking the same stuff out of two sides of my mouth don am i being 
holier than thou in this situation? What are your well, What are your thoughts? Uh, well, yeah, and and uh, this is not a podcast about GMO GMO no. foods, um, but in people's minds, pesticides and GMO foods and antibiotics and growth hormones are all linked together in in people's minds, um, and I can kind of understand you know why the soybean producers want to get ahead of this issue but at the same time i you know and and i am not a risk communication expert um but i i have thought about these issues for a long time and i originally i came from the perspective of which i think many academics come from which is that we need to educate people about the science and if only they understood the science, they wouldn't worry about it. And I, I would say that my position has changed somewhat to saying, well, we ought to listen to what people have concerns about. Um, but, you know, the, the, the issue of GMO foods, it's – I like – and, I, and this, this is my stock answer to everything and I, I feel in many ways like it's a cop-out. But at the same time, I also look back at all of the other – tabs that I have open in Safari about all the stuff that I'm doing where I can have an impact. And I think, and so I think with, and I'm, I'm sorry, this is, this is going to be a bit rambling, but with, with GMO foods, um, you know, there's, it's a complicated issue, right? And it's a complicated issue because people who think it's simple are saying, well, just label it. Well, it turns out if you talk to people in the industry, just labeling it is, it's not a cop-out to say that, in fact, that that's quite, that's quite a complicated thing to do because then the question becomes, well, if we're going to label it, we have to manage it and control it. And we don't, if, if GMO foods really are indistinguishable from non-GMO foods, then we don't really have a way to sh assure that we're, you know, what we're labeling is true. And again, we have a very interconnected food supply. And again, the, I think the response of people to that will be, well, we shouldn't have an interconnected food supply and everybody should eat local. And, you know, and then again, it just gets into a kind of a, a gray, muddy mess with shouting and strong opinions on both sides. So I, I didn't answer your question, Ben, and I'm not really sure That's what fair. your question was. I don't think, at this yeah, point. there's no question. There's no question there. <laughs> Except to say, I guess it's good that soybean producers are going to talk food safety uh, in their new ad campaign, but at the same time, um, it's complicated, and I'm not sure that an ad campaign is going to help help the situation. And right. in fact, maybe, um, maybe it's going to hurt because it's going to pe people are going to say, "Oh, look at those soybean guys; they're just trying to protect themselves." And oh my God, they just all want to turn us into experimental test subjects, and we're going to eat GMO foods, and you know, and it's. You know, and, and I've got I've got good friends on Facebook who post stuff about GMO foods and I just I just don't have the energy to respond. And and also I don't feel like I'm really qualified to respond. What what the response that I give when people ask me is it's not the things that worry it's not one of the things that worries me. Right. <laughs> and that's about the best I got on it. Um and New Jersey Association for Food Protection, which is the local IAFP affiliate, is having a session on GMO foods and they're bringing in, you know, people to debate both sides. And, you know, I'm, I've just been trying to help them locate some experts and I keep trying to interject, well, 
you know, you really, you really should bring in someone like Bill Hallman who doesn't have an opinion for or against but has studied how people think about GMO foods and, and you know, why people have the opinions that they have. And, and to me, that's a much more important part of the not, – not whether GMO foods are good or bad or whether we should or shouldn't label GMO foods. But why do, why do people feel the way they do about GMO foods? That, that to me seems like a much more interesting and potentially fertile discussion to have rather than trying to decide whether they're good or bad or whether they should be banned or whether they should be labeled or any of that, right? And, and maybe it's the, it's the part, the person in me that wants to find a solvable problem and worry about solving that and, and not worry about the problems that I, I can't solve or I don't even see a way to solve. Right. Like GMO foods, what's there to debate? <laughs> right, like there's that sounds like an ad campaign for soy for right. soybean producers, Ben. Yeah, exactly. It's from straight out of South Dakota. Um, I, you know, I guess as I as I listen to you and and I reason with my own thoughts on this, I, here, here's maybe the the situation. I I don't think I don't think we we're in a in a position. Bill Hallman's work actually kind of shows shows a lot of this we're you and i the industry public health we're not really in a position to truly educate any consumers on anything um we 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 can translate some of the complications like like you like you just posed we can translate that that the the food industry is really integrated and that that's kind of the way it is um the we we can't um, get into a, an you know education on well that's a good thing or a bad thing or this is what people need to know or anything like that. But when it comes to a health inspector in, in Nova Scotia or a school administrator who closes uh, a water fountain and there are misconceptions there, um, I, I think we we can present data because their job is to make and I you know you know how I like telling people what their jobs are. Their job is to make science-based, evidence-based decisions. My in, in my home, I, that's not my job. My job is to eat food and, and have value uh, on, on what I'm eating, or not. You know, it, it's 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 not. I, I don't always have to make a science-based decision, and and my neighbors don't have to make a science-based decision. But in a in a setting where 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 you are making decisions for for others. Um, you do have to make those those science based decisions. So, so I guess maybe I'm just sort of reconciling my my own thoughts. It's different. This, you know, someone in the in the soybean industry saying it's time to speak up and correct some of the misconceptions makes me nervous. Makes me makes me icky. But if I if, if I'm doing that with um, with someone in a food service capacity on how to clean up vomit, it doesn't make me as icky because there other people's. Um, other people are counting on them to to make sure they don't get sick. Yeah, and I guess my advice to the South Dakota soybean producers is tell people tell people what you're doing. You know, again, and this is this is something I learned from from you and from Doug about about microbial food safety. Right, tell people what you're doing. Right, yeah. that's all. Just tell them what you're doing. And yeah, and there's you know and there's debates like talk about eating about home at the home. And this just made me think of something like I. Um, my wife, who does not listen to the podcast, who is who is a very wonderful, wonderful and lovely person, um, buys organic milk and organic eggs because she is of the opinion that the animals that produce those get treated better. 
I don't know if that's true. I, I have a feeling it might not be true, but you know, I'm not going to have an argument <laughs> about that. Right. I'm not going to try to convince her because I really don't have an educate. I have an opinion, but I don't have an here. That's that's a good thing. I have an opinion, but I don't have an educated opinion, or I don't have a sufficiently educated opinion on the the topic such that I feel like I want to get into a debate on that. Now, norovirus cleanup, C. difficile yeah. in public schools. Okay, I think I have an educated opinion on that, and I might be able to add to the debate. Um, whether it's worth in my house buying organic milk or organic eggs, I, I'm really, I don't, I don't really have an educated opinion on that. And so, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm fine with whatever decision gets made, you know? Well, and so let, let's, let's talk about this a little a little more. So even if you did have an educated opinion and you said, you know what, I'm going to go into the literature and, and I'm going to show Kristen all the papers that say, here's what organic means and here's what it doesn't mean. Maybe that doesn't matter, right? Like where, where if you do that same thing for, to a school administrator, it, so I guess in a home, maybe that doesn't matter and that's okay because there are lots of other values. But if I did that to a school administrator and said, look, what you're doing here is ridiculous, Here's all the reasons why. Here's the literature. You're in a position that you you should be making not not opinion based decisions, but science based uh, decisions with the best um, best available information uh, with the focus on making sure kids don't get sick. What you did here, you you, you close the school, and and no, it, it's not going to have any outcome on on those on those kids not getting sick from this specific pathogen and here's all the data why i would hope that there's that that it's that that is different that those that the you know those two things are are not the same because we don't i i guess it you know it just boils down to this my expectation is people don't always make science based decisions in their home and that's okay that's a larger issue whereas someone in a um, in a risk management role needs to make science-based decisions. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, that's a very good point. And, and my, and my risk management decision in the home is that I, I'm the, the, the I'm not going to have that discussion, right? right? Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to have discussions about other things that I feel I have an opinion on, or that I feel I have, you know, that, that, that I care more about the outcome you know, like right. like putting a fence in my around my yard, <laughs> which which she was not in favor of, but which saved me having a heart attack or chasing after neighbors Stay or shooting people that that's they're cutting across my goddamn lawn, right? <laughs> so, you know, you got to you got to, <laughs> and this is again, this is not a podcast on relationships either, but um, you know, we we all have them, and uh, and yeah, and I think you're right as someone who is in a public situation. Um, who is who is a risk manager of a public resource, whether that is a, a privately held company um, who's serving food to the public, whether that is – yeah, whether that's a woman who is nursing her child in a farmer's market, whether that is a school administrator making a decision about closing – Schools, whether that is a food service operation that has cashiers handling money and then going and doing other things, um, you know th- that 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 context matters. And again, that's the world in which we play. Although, again, you and I are often asked to provide advice to consumers, and and in fact, that leads me to another. 
thing that I wanted to talk about, which is an interview that I'm going to have later on today uh, with Mother Jones magazine. And I want to get I want to get your take on this. And this is something that um, and we can't we can't say our friend Linda Harris, who downloads and doesn't listen. We can say our friend Linda Harris, who's listened up to episode eight, apparently. Right. Um, uh, has said, um, I forwarded this on to, to you and to me. And I, so I'm going to be talking to a woman from, from, uh, mother Jones magazine, um, later on today. And here's her question. So I'm going, I want to get some uh, advice from you as to how you would answer the question. And then I'm going to tell you how I would answer the question. So, and we, this is a game, uh, this is a game that we often play on the podcast that works out pretty well, I think most of the time. So, um, uh, I'm so I'm reading from her email now. I'm hoping to answer this question: Which is the safest cut of meat to eat? I'm hoping to take into consideration both the physical concerns, like the fact that hamburgers are generally less safe than steaks because bacteria from the surface can get into the center, which often doesn't get cooked as thoroughly, and the frequency of contamination in various kinds of meat, i.e., which happens more often: recalls of chicken, pork, or steak products. Okay. Yes. So what's your answer? All right. So my answer is to to steer this more towards not which cuts of meat are safest to eat, but how different cuts and different types of meats may require different risk management steps. Um, and, and so, so she, so the, the idea that hamburgers are generally less safe than steaks because you know, the bacteria in the surface can get in the center, all that. Yes. Uh, and that's why I would, as you know, personally, and and why the guidelines for food service would suggest that a ground product needs to be cooked to a higher temperature than a whole muscle meat. I also talked to her at this point about enhanced mechanically tenderized steaks and how there's not labeling on that, so I can't really make a better risk management decision. So I, I would guess to me on that. Um, you know, on that first piece, it's there are it, it depends on what those cuts are, but really, it's not whether one is safe or less safe. It's that I have to take different risk management steps to to make it so I've reduced the the risk enough uh, that I could eat it. The second part on recalls of chicken, pork, or steak products. I'd, I'd switch that to recalls really isn't re- really the, the issue. It's it's about prevalence. What's the prevalence of contamination um, on uh, on raw meats? And and I would uh, you know I would kind of talk about campy in chicken and prevalence being quite high. You know maybe seventy percent um, to uh, to a whole bunch of um, you know issues or issues with salmonella in pork and salmonella in um, pathogenic E. coli in, in beef products and basically say it, the prevalence issue um, it, to me would, would sort of say they're all about the same and go back to the risk management steps um, and say, you know, I, I just assume that chicken, pork, or beef products have pathogens. That's why I, I do my best to not cross-contaminate them. That's why I, I cook them and use a thermometer um, to ensure that they've reached the right temperature. But I, I don't think that there's really good data to pull out either of the, the, um, the questions. It's just that you have different risk management steps. How's that? That's a good answer, and it's it's similar enough to what I was going to say, yes. and then in fact, it 
well, there's there's no there's no there's no right and wrong. It's a game, casting man. It's a game. Um, we but, won. Uh, I won. But, you won. We won. No, 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 oh. no, no. Because you you uh, added some nuance and some perspective um, that that I would uh, not have thought of. So I I very much appreciate your um uh you're you're providing that answer so very 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 helpful the only thing that i would add and it's only because i was listening to what you were saying and not talking is i'm wondering whether i talk about toxoplasma Ooh. in pork and again we, it's yes. been a while since we've talked about our friend of the show uh mike bats and his uh risk ranking uh his, his top 10 <laughs> his top 10 list that, <laughs> from that the home office on. yes in yes quad city so um, uh, you know, where, where, uh, again, um, you know, poultry with Campylobacter is at the top of their list, uh, you know, and then you, you go down and you get Listeria and deli meats and Toxoplasma and beef and pork, um, but only to pregnant women and developing fetuses. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I might, I might point her towards that list just because I think it's a good list and I trust the people that made it and it's useful, but, but at the same time, you know, the real, the key, the key thing, and I think you said this, I know you said this, and I, I would, I would definitely mention it in my remarks as well. It's about telling the readers of Mother Jones, what are the mis- risk management practices in their home, again, bringing it back to that, that they need to adopt to ensure that um, they are doing the best that they can to manage risk for their families. Yeah, yeah. No, I like your idea on, on adding the toxoplasma. Um that's and there yeah and there's some so that that's the without me kind of looking at prevalence data and and risk stuff that 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 has a great that's a great document to say here's what some people have shown or here's what here's what a review uh and and some calculations have have demonstrated Right. And it's not, it's not, as you said, it's not about what gets recalled more. And we can talk about why foods might be recalled. They're, they're usually recalled for things other than pathogens, right? Like, right. I mean, I see recalls for plastic shards and things like that. And so it's, it's not really about that. And it's really not about prevalence and concentration in the food products because there are different kinds of bacteria with different abilities to make you sick. And we can, I can talk about Campylobacter and chicken and cross-contamination being a risk. And it's, so, it, so on the one hand, it's more complicated than the question. But on the other hand, let's bring it back to what are best practices. It's you know, not reusing the same cutting board. It's, it's not washing your chicken in the sink. It's you know, all, all of those right. what we know to be best practices that, that if people just you know, focus on the best practices, that's what's really important. It's not about choosing to eat chicken versus pork versus beef. All yeah, so it's more about the state of the food and the the, the best practices for handling it. It's not about one product being riskier, intrinsically riskier than another, because it really depends upon how you manage that risk. And yeah, so and, there and, we go. And who the vendor was, and, and who you know, all the, there's it's all wrapped up in that. There's another good area that you might go on is is say with salmonella in, in poultry, for instance, the industry and the federal government basically says it's there. It's naturally occurring. You know, that's why, that's why foster farms didn't recall their product for a long time erroneously because there are lots of people getting sick, but, but there's this, this understanding that, yeah, it's, it's, it's there. So what do you do about it? Right. And, and, and again, this would be an opportunity to, to, you know, put in a plug for, 
um, you know, Doug's, Doug's message of, well, what companies really ought to be marketing food safety, right? So maybe that, maybe if, 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 if a particular vendor of a particular chicken product had a good food safety program, they ought to be talking about that. Um, that's something that you and I can talk about on the podcast. It's not something I'm sure that I want to mention to mother Jones. Um, but, but on the other hand, uh, you know, I think, uh, Doug, Doug does have a point there. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You could you could talk about it as companies. I had a conversation with with mm-hmm. someone who's doing a project on this, and it was about transparency. Mm-hmm. That that the more transparent, and it goes back to our discussion on on um, soybeans. The more information that people are shared, maybe it's maybe we call it marketing, and the industry doesn't see it as marketing, but it's it, it's sharing what you're doing and why you're doing it, and and then letting letting a consumer make a decision based on, on that information. Um, cause the, that marketing word definitely makes people nervous, but maybe, maybe what we're really talking about is just, just share what you're doing, share your, share your results and tell us, don't say that you're, you know, that there are misconceptions out there and we have to correct them without giving me some data and some information about what you're actually doing. So you can help create, you know, help correct those misconceptions. That's probably too much for your, for the Mother Jones interview, but but that's that that's the way that I've been thinking about the marketing aspect lately. Is it's it's marketing, but it's but it's really being really really transparent. And if one company is really really transparent, maybe that forces other companies to do so. And maybe what they're doing is not exactly the same as everyone else. Um, and 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 to get into a discussion of why certain steps or why certain risk management. Um, strategies are employed uh, versus you know others is, is really where where you can get into better um, consumer choice. Well, and since we're talking about companies and marketing food safety, I know um, Doug Doug loves to hate on Chipotle, and uh, let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, if, if you, if you're up for it, uh, I'm, we're, I'm we're probably coming, cu- coming in on the end of the podcast, but I think this is a nice, a nice segue. Uh, hundreds of Chipotle restaurants aren't serving pork after the national chain suspended a supplier for violating its standards. So there's Chipotle, um, talking about, um, you know, they nominally about food safety or at least about standards, um, and, and, and taking a public hit. You know, by having a product, uh, taking a product off the menu that um, that that they do sell. I don't I don't know how much they sell of of uh, carnitas versus uh, other other items on their menu. What is do Do you have a perspective on this? I do, and I'll tell you. I, I'll, um, the, and maybe you have a maybe you already have a blog post on it. No, no, not yet. <laughs> I have an N equals two uh, on how much carnitas they sell. In our household, which is 100% of the market, is carnitas. Hey, uh, 100%. Right, it's n, n equals zero for my household. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. We net we net out at, at, at one um, from a sample size of. Yeah, right. well, no, so, so it's two, yeah, two out of four. Yeah, two out of four. Yeah. Um, so interesting on this. I, I have followed this over the last couple of days, and and um, the conversation initially from Chipotle was, we're pulling pork because one of our suppliers violated something, and they didn't really say what it was. And then after being pushed and after being pushed, um, the company's communication director said, yeah, it's an animal welfare decision. And it's rooted, you know, here's a quote from the Chicago Tribune, I think this morning, uh, or Washington Post, saying, um, 
Fundamentally, fundamentally an animal welfare decision, it's rooted in our unwillingness to compromise our standards where animal welfare is concerned. Really good. Yeah, that's it. And they learned about it from a routine check-in. Doesn't say whether it was their audit or a third-party audit or or if it was something else. It doesn't get into that. And that's where where I'd like to see more from Chipotle because they – them especially because they market we – care. We want to show everything there is about the food industry, but but not this. We're, we have to get pushed to tell you why we made this decision. And maybe there's a legal reason for that. Maybe there's not. I don't know. Um, but good for them for making a decision based on an audit that wasn't good and, uh, and then pulling stuff off the market where they're clearly... I'm not going to go to Chipotle because I don't eat the other stuff. I really like their carnitas. And I won't, I'll wait until I know that either the one that we would go to has it or, or, or that, that they found another supplier, which I'm sure to find another supplier for a size of, of you know, someone like Chipotle is, is going to take, uh, you know, a, a few weeks. Um, have, you, have you really tried the other things on the menu, though, Ben? I haven't. No. The, barba- I, the barbacoa is pretty damn good, I have to say. That's that's my uh, that's my uh, meat of choice at uh, Chipotle. And Kristen, Kristen goes for the chicken. So Danny likes – just... Danny has um, – so we, we prefer the, the pork, the carnitas, but she's had the barbacoa a couple of times. Um, and I, I can't remember where, whether I've tasted it or not. But I'm just so into the, the – I mean – I'm so, so into the carnitas. <laughs> and only there. Carnitas elsewhere doesn't do it for me. For whatever oh. reason, it's Chipotle is a different, it's I, a different yeah, breed. I, I've, I've, and I've talked about this before, too. I don't know what they're putting in it or what they're not putting in it. But, man, they make a good product. Oh, and it just do. does not disappoint. You know, again and again, does not disappoint. So, yeah. I mean, so so the way that I look at and it, we should we should say this this podcast is not sponsored by Chipotle, no. but if they're willing, if they're interested in sponsoring, they should contact us. Right? Yeah, let us know. Um, they good good for them for pulling a vendor. Shame on them for not telling them everybody right up front what that vendor did. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I would be very interested to know what the conversations were around why they would not say what the problem was. You know, yeah. like, what are they? Did they think it was make them vulnerable? Were they trying to be nice to the vendor and not and sort of you know let them off gently, firmly but gently? I mean, I'm, yeah, I would be very interested in the in the you know uh, the back uh, back channels of that discussion. Yeah, or were they worried about them saying what it was specifically leading to others dropping this vendor? Um, and then that becoming a legal issue for them. Who knows? Or, or it could it could be that they they were um, uh, they knew they caught this vendor doing something, but they weren't completely sure that the other vendors weren't doing it. And right. so then they would look like hypocrites for getting rid of this one when the others were doing the same thing. They just didn't catch them at it. I mean, so and again, because they still haven't really told us, uh, we can speculate all we want. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're probably not going to sponsor us now. No. No. But they should tell somebody what. <laughs> Like the Washington Post or Chicago Tribune, exactly what shouldn't have to come out. And it, the way that it is even in this article, um, it says, uh, "Where is it? Where is it?" Chipotle hasn't said that explicitly, but Chris Arnold, the company's communications director, admitted as much to me about the the large supplier wasn't treating its pigs in a way that met the company standards. So they like no, even that, even. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, hey. Um, so we're at uh, one hour, 29 minutes, 55 seconds. 
50. And and I just I just got a message um, from and thank thank God for Google Voice, um, which sends you a transcript. I got a phone call from our departmental administrator, who said, "So I'm uh, I'm uh, was acting department chair because right. our department chair was was out of the office, and because that, that is commonly a role." played by the graduate director. Have I mentioned I'm graduate director, Ben? You mentioned, you mentioned um, that, yeah. <laughs> and apparently there's a very important document that needs to be uploaded by uh, 159. Um, I thought it was 159 p.m. I need to go back and check that message. I bet it is 159 p.m. So um, anyway, so um, but, but I got a panicked email from our, or a panicked voice call from our departmental administrator saying that, they, that the department chair is not in yet and they need me to come down and sign the thing. So. I should probably go do that even though it's – you know, Ben, lack of planning on other people's part does not constitute an emergency on my part. I think I'm going to – I think that's a novel and unique phrase. I'm going to print that out and post it over my desk. On your door. (laughs) On your door. There's not really room because there's lots of humorous cartoons on my door, but but perhaps I will make room for it. I think it's it's a good way to – yeah, I think you should do it. I got, I, I got, I got an email from a graduate student last night after I stopped reading email, which was like eight p.m., saying, um, "I need this form signed by um, the sixteenth, which is Friday, and um, I'm work full time." And um, I'm wondering if I can come see you. Uh, I can only take off half a day from work. I'm wondering if I can come see you between two and three p.m. And my uh, response was no. Uh, I have a meeting between two and three p.m. Uh, but yeah. but why don't you why don't you send me a PDF of the form? And it's just uh, the whole oh my god, Ben, the it's everything is broken. And apparently there are forms which need to be printed out and signed with ink, printed out on paper and signed with ink. And oh. it's and 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 students, Ben, students, students who. Wait up until the last minute, and then all of a sudden it's an emergency, and it's just I, I'm just anyway. Yeah, I hear. You. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm so sorry to vent. Um, I feel it's important to vent about this to you and to all of our listeners. Um, for some reason, and I apologize. I should, I should just suck it up and get, get it out, Don. Get, get it out. Just get, get it, it out. Done. Get yep. it out. It's good. Vent away. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ben. You're welcome. Oh, and speaking of venting, so I just I while while I was um uh chatting with you, I got a text from my graduate student who wants a short phone call and I said I'm podcasting, but we can talk later. And he said he says, I'm glad you're podcasting. You always seem nicer after a podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow. I, I'm not sure I like that. Uh that I have to uh, I mean I'm I, I I, I'm not sure how I feel about that, man. I like it. I like I think this is a good that's a good development. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe we're both nicer after we do this. Maybe oh. who knows what's going on. Uh that's good. Hey, so uh, we should probably call it a show. All right. So uh, it's good. That was good. Um so so yeah, that was uh food safety talk uh podcast number i don't know 76 76 so yep welcome, 76 trombones welcome to the parade <laughs> um and uh yeah so thanks for listening rate us on itunes all that good stuff and uh, as always don thanks for thanks for chatting and venting and and uh for hopefully both of us go uh, on our rest of the day with uh with improved attitudes
Yes. And, and thanks to all the listeners for listening and for putting up with us in our really crappy schedule. And uh, I'm, I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I promise we're going to do better this year. Yes. In 2015, more, more trombones. Well, maybe more timely podcasts. Okay. okay. And, and more trombones. More trombones. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Right. Take care, Ben. Bye. So my, my system has been to hold the microphone in my hand, gotcha. um, which works pretty well, and then to mute it when I go to set it down in the hat. <laughs> in the- <laughs> um, because because when, it, when, I'm, when I'm fiddling with it, when I'm fumbling with it, it definitely does make noise. It worked out. It was good. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about where we're at. I believe you have the next one still. Yeah, so okay. again, for all the listeners that are still listening, the, the reason for the delay is totally 100% on me. That's okay. I, I, I didn't want to point it out. I will point it out. Yeah. Uh, and then we can get – so if you get yours up, I'll have the, the Manon ones basically done. I've got uh, everything edited, um, and, but I don't have – I got a – Beth said that she – I don't still don't have the notes from her. So that's the only thing. Let me see. Maybe I do. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, I will track that down, and then we should be good to go. Let's put them out like once a week for the next little while and catch up eventually. I think that would be that would be a great idea, and and I and I will. I, I've just this has just not risen to a level. I mean, I, this yeah. podcast is apparently very important to me, and it makes me makes um, a better person to be around when I do it. But I need to uh, I need to get this done, and uh, I. Uh, there's no reason why I can't get it done, Ben. I just have to not do other things, like uh, not not and not not do graduate director things. I just have to not do other less important things. I just have to figure out what those things are, so I don't do them. I don't know what those are. Now that your fence is up, you don't have to worry about people walking across your lawn. So that should free up some time. Mm, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Do we have a seventy-five? Is this really I, I, 75? I, I honestly don't know, Ben. I'm, or may, were you? I don't know. Oh, I was going to do a 75 with somebody and I didn't. So this is really oh 75. Oh, God. This is really 75. Oh. We, we should title it 76 trombones. 76 trombones. Not, and then not yet. All right. I've just changed it in, <laughs> in Dropbox to 75. So you, this one is me. And I believe it is... 
I think it's Rachel. Because yours was Anne. No, 73, 74, 75. It's Beth. Me and Beth. On audio and notes. Cool. It is Beth, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know, Ben. I don't even know. What I do know is that uh, I have... uh, I have a, a, a YouTube clip from the Music Man called 76 Trombones. Um, Perfect. <laughs> that's all I know right now. Beth Frikesdale. 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 Done. I will email Beth and throw him on Dropbox. All right. And, and, it's, and it's 75 and it's you and Beth. Me and Beth. Good. Perfect. Okay. So we got that figured Perfect. out. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to go eat some lunch. Mm. Um, I'm at home today. It's great. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm at work today. We have, uh, we had two hours of delay. We've, yeah, it does. We had two hour delay for two days in a row. So for freezing rain. For Uh, delay at, at campus or kids school? school. Yesterday, delay at campus till Mm. no classes until 11. And there was quite a bit of ice this morning. They, they weren't sure whether there was still a lot of water and precipitation. They weren't sure if it was going to refreeze. Cause you know, we don't have salt in our state. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, we have an ocean. Mm-hmm. But we don't have salt that they would actually put on a road. So when it when it gets cold and there's wet, it just freezes and thaws for you know twelve days straight. Well, and we and I think we've talked about this on the podcast. They don't have salt um, in Geneva, Switzerland either because right. it's bad for the environment. So thank you, North Carolina, for doing the right thing for the environment. <laughs> thanks, thanks, North Carolina. Thanks, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, all right. Well, I think we got. We got everything sewn up here. We, we got a show. I'm in a better mood now. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go tell her. You signed the, your form? I, no, no, I didn't sign the form. I'm going to go tell her I don't need to sign it because it's, it's actually midnight um, central time. So, but, but that's okay. No She's a sweet lady and, and I, I, you know, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't be angry at her. I just wish people would read and yeah. think. Well, that's all I want. And not manage. Try not to manage you. <laughs> I'm unmanageable, man. Exactly. You're a, you're a wild cat. You're a, <laughs> oh, I wish we could use that as a, as a show title. I don't know how to spell it, but you're a wildcat. Meow. All right, that's that's probably enough. This is devolved. This is this is pretty silly. Yeah. All right, take take care, Ben. It's it's a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to. Even though I've quit the podcast, yeah, you guys, Carolina, I look forward to doing the next one with you soon. Well, it'll be it'll, this is archived, so you'll be able to listen to it again when we post it 17 weeks from now. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.